Layer by layer, day by day, the world, our markets, and your life unfolds. Welcome to the Laminate Money Podcast, a show dedicated to exploring our world, the financial markets, and scaling your financial life. Tom Statham, Jacob Radke, Dan Schuster, and Noah Jezdal work for Fiel Capital, and all opinions expressed by Tom, Jacob, Dan, Noah, or any podcast guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Fiel Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Tom, Jacob, Dan, and Noah are registered representatives of Sanctuary Securities and investment advisor representatives of Sanctuary Advisors. Fiel Capital is a DBA of Sanctuary Securities and Sanctuary Advisors. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Laminate Money Podcast. On today's show, we're joined by Noah and Dan. Tom is out of the office. A little bit of a flu sickness going around. Second time in the second time. one week. Noah was out of the office yesterday for the exact same reason. So uh, it's hitting our office. Luckily, Dan and I are immune to disease. That's and right. We keep this train chugging. And you can't get sick through audio, so you should be fine. Yeah, or, or video if you're watching. <laughs> or or video, yeah. Um, but we've got a, a very interesting show for you. We've kind of switched up our show structure to align a little better to the Weekend Reads. We publish the Weekend Reads newsletter every Saturday. And so if you're not subscribed to that, the link will be in the description. So you can go subscribe to that, check out... Uh, you get a suggestion for articles, a quote of the week, a flight deal of the week, and yeah, just an introduction to Fiel Capital and, and what we really do. So today we want to talk about why high fixed costs can lead to the death of your financial life. So Dan, you want to take it away with what a high fixed cost is? I would love to. So when we're talking about fixed costs, okay, we're, we're saying things that... Um, uh, Things that essentially there is no escaping paying every month, right? So think about your mortgage or your rent. If you're a renter, think about your rent. You can rent an apartment uh, in you know downtown Manhattan if you live out in that area. And I don't even want to guess how much that thing is going to cost you 5, every month. $5,800? Yeah, $5,800 for a 700 square foot unit, something like yeah. that, right? Per month. So you can do that. But you have a fixed cost of $5,800, and, and there's just nothing you can do about that. Or, um, you know, you bring it back to, we'll bring it back to North Dakota, but you're in Fargo and you have an apartment that's a two bedroom for $1,100 a month. Um, your fixed cost is just substantially lower, right? So yeah. I know I'm not, I'm not trying to make comparisons here between uh, apartment costs in Fargo in New York or in Man- Manhattan. Um, but the point is, when your fixed costs exceed, when your fixed costs are excessive, it locks you out of like wealth accumulation potential, right? Yep. So if you've only got, if you got $5,000 coming in every month, let's say, and you've locked up 4,500 of that every month, it's like $500 is your window. That is your accumulation limit. You, you, there's, you, you can't do any more you than that. You can't save more. Just randomly, magically. Right, right. And, and sure, you can go out and get another job, but that's, that's probably not going to happen for most people. Um, so those fixed costs, if you can, if you if you manage those appropriately and basically can reduce those, you could turn that five hundred dollar window into a seven hundred fifty dollar window, or a thousand dollar window, or a fifteen hundred dollar window, and that that disposable income at the end of the day is what can either you know improve or increase your standard of living, um, or just rapidly accumulate your your base of assets. Right. Yeah. So at the end of the day, high fixed costs or just fixed costs in general are like your debt, bad debt, good debt, whatever. You yep. have to pay it. If you don't pay it, you know, 
you either default and you don't have a home or you don't have uh, whatever. Um, or mm-hmm. subscriptions. You don't have to, mm-hmm. like if you have subscriptions, you pay $35 a month, that inhibits your ability to put $35 a month into Apple stock, for instance. Yeah. Like just whatever. And subscription bases right now too, it's like if you don't pay attention to what you're paying for, it's like everything is going subscription now. You yeah. know, it's yeah. like I've got, you, like even I was trying to find some fitness apps, like fitness apps are subscription on a subscription basis now. You got Netflix, you got your Disney Plus, you got your Hulu, like you've got your whole collection of things. Um, I mean, so pay, yeah, it's like pay attention to those things because they add up. All of a sudden you're paying $150 on like entertainment subscriptions every month or more. I don't, I don't know how much yeah, people are I mean, paying. You but. can get a lot more than $150. <laughs> That's nothing. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is habits, right? If you decide like, you know, every day I'm going to go out and eat, eat out. I'm not going to cook anything at home. I'm every single night I'm going to eat at Grand Junction. That's what I'm going to eat. Dude, every that would make day. Noah a happy man. <laughs> like you'll, you'll spend magnitudes more just mm-hmm. on a bad habit mm-hmm. than it would to develop good habits of like, I'm just going to cook at home. I can buy grocery store ingredients for, you know, 50% of the cost that it would cost me to go out. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so those, those are high fixed costs. Those are fixed costs that like you can limit, you can reduce, you can build new habits, stuff like that. So let's talk about software and why software is so valuable in particular. And it's really because they have like high revenue, like Disney plus for instance, like, and actually this is a bad example. Let's just do the Microsoft office, like the office suite, right? You pay a subscription every single month or every year or whatever, and you get access to this entire suite of stuff. Now, how much does it actually cost Microsoft to continue to run that? Once they've built it, once they've got all the engineering inside of it, how much does it cost for them to like just maintain and keep it going like they don't have to hire that many people that's why information is a is a low job opening like job sector it's because it doesn't really require that many people to keep something going right building it is expensive yeah right but the the maintenance of it Mm -hmm. yeah that so like all you really need a few employees an internet connection and you have a product and there you have like subscriptions so it's low fixed costs which means high margins high ability to invest back into the business which means more revenue in the future mm-hmm. with not a lot of more operating costs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If anybody's watched some of the webinars before too, or tuned into some of Tom's, like Tom's podcasts, his newsletters, those types of things too. Tom says it this way, but he's, he said before, run your personal financial life like a business. And that's, that's what he's getting at is, you know, these, these companies like Microsoft, they're treating their business as a, Hey, we're going to, we're going to try to run it at low fixed cost, make those margins as massive as we possibly can to make this just a kind of a money-making machine. Right. right. And that's, you, you can run, you, you can do that in your personal life. For sure. Yeah. I'm, I wrote a LinkedIn post about that actually. Like I, I pondered the question myself, like, would I be in, a, if I was a business, would I invest in the Jacob business, mm-hmm. right? Like the personal mm-hmm. Jacob business. And at the end of the day, it comes down to like, how much do I make? How much do I actually earn? How much do I keep? What's the margin? Like that's what, really drives an investment decision inside of a company, right? It's like, how much are they investing? How much are they growing? Stuff like that. Like yep. if you're not doing that, then you're not exactly what yep. would be called a, an investable business. So yep. totally, totally. I wish I could buy Jacob shares. <laughs> well, I, I wish I could buy Dan shares and Noah shares. So, <laughs> I mean, you might as well just buy the index, the Fiel Capital Index. You that's own right. all of us. That's right. Well, that sounds bad. But Pause that thought geez. too. Jacob, Jacob's been featured twice now on LinkedIn's LinkedIn's LinkedIn news, news articles, right? LinkedIn news. Yeah. Crazy. Happened once last year. And then what was your recent post that got featured? It was, it was actually, uh, 
one of my one of my newsletters that I posted on there, and it was about the Fed's decision. It was the last one where they hiked by a quarter of a point after the banking crisis, so in March. And basically, my entire thing, I was like, I mean, why did they do that? At the end of the day, why did they do that? Why didn't mm-hmm. they just stop and wait and see what's happening? And in that, I really was just like, well, they have this $300 billion liquidity window open for banks. Like, if mm-hmm. you have access to $300 billion of liquidity, they probably saw that as like, we're fixing this issue and fixing this issue at the same time by raising rates and reducing liquidity yeah. or increasing liquidity. Yeah. There you go. Little, like, plug, little I, plug for Jacob's LinkedIn. I, I got it. I, I tell you, when I get that notification, that's like you've been featured by the LinkedIn news team. No matter how big or small the post is, I'm like, this is pretty cool because everybody in my feed sees it. Yeah, that's a cool honor. All right. Well, so there you go. A simple solution. Just watch. Watch what you're paying. Watch what, watch what you're spending. Mm-hmm. You know, cut out the high, bad, stupid debt in your life. Cut out subscriptions you don't use. Increase your margin mm-hmm. and treat your financial life like you would run a business. Yeah, pay attention to your habits. And if you do this today, you'll save yourself in the future. Absolutely. Like you I, won't kill yourself in the future. And I was just talking to some students. I got to talk up at NDSU um, last week um, just for like a, a young adults class, essentially. And one of the things I talked about with them too is if you can, if you can get good habits in place today and you can do things like reduce or eliminate those really high fixed costs before you actually get into them. You know, so if you can prevent those from being, being an issue, we're talking about tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars, well, up to a million dollars or more in the future, you know, 60 years from now, like that's the difference of making these changes today. Uh, if you're in your twenties, for example, as I was addressing those students, uh, then doing it in your fifties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when like it's it's just like paying down debt, right? Mm-hmm. If you have a $30,000 car loan and you paid off more in the beginning, that means you have to make lower payments later because your interest will go down, like stuff like that. If you yep. just pay extra early, you have to pay less later. Yep. Same thing goes with saving money and investing. The more you put in early, the less you have to do later. All right. So what went on? This is kind of a section of going through like Kind of the, the largest headlines, the, some of the thought leaders, stuff like that. What what really went on this week? What 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 information did we find? So there was a very interesting post, and I thought it was very well done by by Ben Carlson. So he is, uh, I actually don't know what he does at Ritholtz, but anyway, he's he at Ritholtz Wealth Management, and he was talking about why the stock market makes you feel bad all the time, and it's because, and this is what he laid out, is like you have these massive declines in a very short window of time. And at any, t- at any moment, this could just happen. There's, I mean, regular volatility has like 20% decline in any given year. And then you have these really long stretches where you're not getting to new highs. Like for instance, in whatever, 19, in the 1970s, early 1970s, late 1960s, you had a 36% decline in the S&P 500. It took uh, 543 days to get there. And then it took 1,193 days to come out of it, to get to a new high post that. So the, the market in short periods of time is all driven by sentiment and multiple changes and stuff like that. But over long periods of time, that's where the earnings come in. Jeez. There were a couple other interesting facts in that article. Yeah. Um, one of them was I used in one of my LinkedIn posts from last week, but it was that uh, 45% of the days end up going down. Like if you invest in the S&P 500, 55% go up. But there was another statistic that, um, well, I don't know if it's a statistic and it probably depends on the person, but 
loss uh, a day where you lose hurts twice as bad as mm-hmm. um the as it feels good from. to yeah yeah if right. you go loss up, aversion so, yeah so if i mean if you just math that out double 45 that's i mean it hurts way worse even if you stay steady or even you go up a little bit it feels like you're losing just by mm-hmm. having it invested so it's just, yeah that's why it feels bad to be in the market sometimes mm-hmm. Right. And over a 20 year period going off of that too, that, well, there's a, this is what also something he had in this article over a 20 year period, the stock market has never been down over a rolling 20 year period. It's never been negative. Now, not saying that that can't happen, but right, right. Um, it hist- if history pre- repeats itself, it's right, like that right. is what happened. Right. But also that's a 20 year period of time we're talking about, you know, that's a Which, lot of time to go a, through emotional uh, stock market bear. Right. Moves. And, and there's been like time. one decade since the great depression that's been down too. Mm-hmm. Which would have been 2008. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would have been 2008. The lost sure. decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think yeah. that was just, and it was just incrementally like you would have lost like maybe a percent or 2% <laughs> over like that It's like half decade. a percent or something. Yeah. 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 It's super small. Yep. And yeah. What I've seen the last like year or two, uh, the last year or two. So, so I've been, I've been working with Tom for about, we'll be coming up on six years this year. So I've been working with Tom for a bit. Um, but what I've noticed too, is that like our clients um, and the people who have come into our office, a lot of times the help that we give them is like the emotional help, right? Because the two, it, I would almost phrase it this way. If you're going to invest in the markets, there's two things that you have to have a gut and patience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have to have a gut. You have to be able to say like when that sinking feeling comes because four to 45% of the years, you know, or 45% of the trading days per year, it's going to go down. You have to have that gut to say, oh, I got that sinking feeling, but I'm not going to let go. Like, I'm going to stick this out. Yeah. And then you have to have the patience because 20 years is like, that's not, that, that's not a day. <laughs> Definitely not a day. <laughs> that's yeah. not one day. That's, that's many days to keep it, keep it simple. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, even in my early days in my career, I've noticed how often like this job is not always just making smart investment decisions. It's helping people stick to their gut and say, okay, we're, we're, we, I know this hurts, but we're going to stick this out and we're going to have patience. This is a long-term investment uh, theme. That's, that's what we're basing everything off of. Yeah. Speaking of long-term investments, mm-hmm. the housing market is rather wonky, to say the least. Wonky. Yeah. So anything <laughs> west of Texas, including Austin, so Austin, Texas, that's like the one exception, is seeing home price declines. San Francisco, a lot of the California metros, Los Angeles, are all seeing like 13% declines in home prices. Yet on the east, so east of Texas, any, all of the major metros are seeing, I mean, in some cases, 9, 10% home price appreciation. And it's one of those things where it's like, wow, okay, so maybe, I don't even know, maybe this is partly because of um, the Silicon Valley bank collapse. Like maybe there's just restriction in lending where people just can't act. There's, there's not enough stimulation in demand for people to go out and buy homes or buy commercial properties or, or whatever, where the home prices are just falling because there's not the capital to do it. Um, but I think a larger part of this is actually just labor demand and affordability. San Francisco is not known for its affordability. And right now it is like a tech startup, like technology, venture capital, like hotspot. That's where those people are. Those are the, those are the people that got hit the worst in 2022. Yep. 
those are not where new jobs are being created. They're being created in like healthcare, manufacturing, um, these really jobs that are like in the East. There's a lot of mm-hmm. jobs in the East that are healthcare and manufacturing dominated. You also think of like um, probably rural Virginia or mm-hmm. even just in Virginia in general or something like that, like whatever, North Dakota. Home prices, it's just way more affordable to live here than it is in San Francisco. Right. And it, with office vacancies and stuff like that still at 50%, why would people, like if they can work from home and they can just move to North Dakota and pay like, z- you know, z- basically zero to compare to what they were paying, why wouldn't they do that? So right. there's this, this super dynamic of the housing market right now. Yeah. Be interesting. I'd be interested to see like, my, what does like migration look like right now? As yeah. far as like people, like are people just kind of migrating west to east too? Is that, I mean, that has to be part of it. Not that that's all of it. There was a very interesting post and I really wish I had it. I think I might still have it, but there was this, uh, there was this thing that was like, like Florida is sucking up the United States population. It had like this population heat map or whatever, like red, obviously is like people leaving green as people coming. And it was like West Mm -hmm. to Florida. All of it was Florida. Florida was like this giant dark green thing. Like, I mean, North Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, a lot of these states were like, I mean, they're like lightly shaded green, like very lightly shaded or like white looking. But That's I right. mean, that almost had to just be skewed because Florida is so green. Yeah. There has to be so many people moving to Florida that it skews the entire data set to make it look like there's less people mm-hmm. moving to the other states. You'll have to try to pull that up and send that to me. I definitely I, uh, want to see that. I probably pe- have it. People are moving to North Dakota. I'll tell you that today. We're are supposed they? to get, well, no, people are not. Well, <laughs> I'm making a joke. Okay. We're supposed, okay, to get a, well, we're supposed to get one to two feet of snow today. It's April 4th for anybody who's listening. This is not, not what we, not what we signed up for, but I guess it comes with living in North Dakota. And there's a perk of not owning a home too, is I don't have to shovel. Zero shoveling requirements for, for Jacob. Mm-hmm. Although my parking lot right now yeah. in my apartment, it's not looking good. They that still thing, haven't plowed that, that thing, thing out. Is, well, I don't think it's not a plowing issue at this point. They just got to take the, uh, get the loader in there and tall it away because like my, I mean, my parking lot for everybody listening, probably like 21 cars could fit in there. My, like assuming like maybe like 20 cars or something like that. Right now it can fit like seven, eight, nine, maybe. And gosh, this, this snow pile in there is massive. And my, it's not all paved. It's a little bit of paved, but then there's like dirt where the main parking lot is. That thing's going to be absolutely destroyed. <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of interesting. There's already lakes forming in there when it gets warm. It gets just this big old bubble. Oh, it's nasty. Pull out the rod and reel. All right. No, anything else on the housing market? No, I think we covered it. We I think we did on. too. I yeah. kind of I kind of rambled through that one. So um, you know, this is this is fascinating to me. Apple Pay Later launched last week. And we had a very interesting conversation with Alliance an Alliance Bernstein, um, guy that came in talking about AI marketing stuff like that. It was actually right after we recorded our podcast last week, we were talking to him. And I'm in the camp where I think AI is a net positive. But at the same time, there are so many new things coming into the market that affect marketing, right? If you think back to like, this was my argument. If you think back to like 1960 or 1950s, like all the ads were in newspapers, TVs as they were coming out, like billboards, whatever. I think that's like how the famous wall drug ad campaign started off is like, whatever, you just put up billboards in farmer's pastures and let her go. Um, now today, you can get targeted around the internet and sent the same ad like 90 different times until you finally convert into a customer. Just imagine AI's potential in marketing, these pay later things. Like 
that basically allows you to take on high fixed costs at any point for any item ever. It just opens up this entire line of credit that's like, you can pay 0%, so you are incentivized to max it out at all times because you're paying 0%. So it's, it just pulls cash flows for companies from the future and puts it right here today. Mm-hmm. And Apple Pay Later is integrated into the Apple Wallet, which I don't know how many people use. I love the Apple Wallet. I use the Apple Wallet all the time. So if there's Apple Pay Later, I'm definitely going to use it. There's no way I'm not using it. Yeah. Interesting example, which this is not Apple Pay related, but I just bought, so I just bought a new bike. Yeah. And that bike, I like could have used, I think it was a firm actually, a firm financing, could have used a firm financing to finance the the purchase of my bicycle. Yeah. (laughs) And at first I was like, are you serious? I was like, really? And then I I almost did it. But anyways, I I didn't do it. I, I just paid cash. But have you ever used it? No. Buy now, pay later? No. If I can't pay for it, no, I'm not touching it. Even right. if it mm-hmm. might feel better too. It's just well, there we go. The, I've used it. The only I know I'm like the only instance where I would agree to use it is basically I have the cash. I could pay cash for this thing, but I'm just gonna finance it because it's zero percent interest and I can keep the cash for an extra two months or three yeah. months or whatever it is before I actually pay it off. I've only used it once and it was to buy my AirPods, my AirPod Pros, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I had the cash to do it. If I wanted to, I could have done it, but I saw zero percent for six months and I was like, Yeah. I'll pay 50 bucks a month or something yeah. and, and pay these off in six months. Like that's yep. fine. Yeah. Whatever. There's no finance charge to it. So I'll just yeah. take it. And so, yeah. 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 But you, it goes back to your point though, of like the high fixed cost things. Like this is the, the beauty of this is being able to, to do that. You know, it's like, okay, fine. Yeah. I'll buy those AirPods and I'll pay 50 bucks a month for six months. And then I'll pay all of them off before the interest kicks in. And the danger of it is, do I not pay it off? Mm-hmm. Do I hold on to it? How often do I start adding these things on? You know, it's like, okay, it starts with Apple AirPods, but then what's next? You know, it's a $50 payment for AirPods, but then it's right. a $100 payment for a couch. And then it's, it's, it's $200 for something else. So there's definitely, uh, not to say don't do it, but I think that's the danger of it from a financial perspective is do you mis- uh, mistakenly, do you accidentally get yourself into a situation where you have these super high fixed costs and now you got to find a way to, keep yourself afloat, I guess. Yeah. This is how I, 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 this is how I picture these things being used. You get a thousand dollar, like buy now, play later credit basically. And you immediately are like, oh, I have that in my bank account. I can spend that. Cause that's essentially what it is. You just double click your power button and pay. Right. Like that's what it is. It's a bank account, but it's on, on credit. And I really think that people are going to use this as a replacement to credit cards. In some sense, they're going to say like, here's my six week window where I'm going to have a revolving $1,000 line of credit that is 0% interest. And I'm just going to, as long as you can pay off your credit card, right? This is, this works. And then anything over you put on a credit card, but that gets into a dangerous game too. Cause you feel like you almost have to spend that thousand dollars or you have mm-hmm. it, have to have it like maxed out. You're like, all right, before I do anything, I just max this out, max this out, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whatever. I think that there's a, a perception that this is just going to be a cash balance because it's 0%. Yeah. It's like yeah. a modern online version of a line of credit that you yeah. don't have to go yes. to the bank for. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. Yes. And I'm going to play like a little bit of devil's advocate here, but like you go back to, uh, I, I, Dave Ramsey, right? Mm -hmm. Dave Ramsey got a ton of good stuff out there. Um, don't always agree with everything he's got to say on how he approaches stuff, but there is a lot of truth to his, his strategy of like cat, you know, when you, when you hand a wad of cash over, he he does the envelope approach, right? Stick cash into envelopes and and you dole that out to pay for everything. It's not as convenient these days. There's, there's other ways that you can do that and, and still kind of have that approach. But there's something about handing over a wad of cash to someone that's like, there is a, 
an emotional response or a physiological response that's going through your brain versus just saying, ah, oh, yeah, perfect credit. Oh, clicks, click, yeah, pay now or, or pay later. Buy now, pay later. So something to be said for it. That's right. Yeah. Maybe that's why they kind of like have abolished checks and cash. I guess mm-hmm. cash isn't really abolished, but like at the same time, like you're heavily get this. I, I actually hate this policy 100%, but like a lot of the gas stations, they don't let you pay at the, or like, you know, not pay at the pump. You either mm-hmm. have to pay at the pump or prepay inside. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go in there and guess how much my gas bill is going to be and then fill it up and like, oh, it's a little bit short or I have to go in and get my $5 and change. Like, I want to go in one time and just pay the whole thing in cash. You can't do that anymore. There's hardly any gas stations that'll let you do that anymore. And I think it's ridiculous. Jacob on the soapbox. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I don't, I don't like that. And this kind of like that just goes off of what you said. Like people, they're incentive. Like it's almost like an incentivization to be like, yeah, don't use a check. Don't use cash. Just Put it on your mm-hmm. card. Put it on mm-hmm. your Apple Pay. Put it on Buy Now, Pay Later. Mm-hmm. And just let it rip. Yeah. Let your financial life evolve, but be smart about it. Yeah. Period. All right. So talking about tech. Yep. Continuing on tech. Have you ever heard anything about the metaverse? The meta what? The metaverse. Yeah. The metaverse. Did you hear anything about the metaverse? Yeah, but it's been pretty quiet lately. It has been pretty quiet lately. Ever since Jim Cramer said uh, the metaverse was going to be the hottest pick of 2022 and then was brutally wrong as meta platforms, formerly Facebook, plunged into the abyss. Um, every, every other tech company that ever had its hands in the metaverse is like offloading that as an operating unit. Disney, Microsoft, both closed projects and those things. Disney actually, like since Bob Iger's takeover of Disney, he slashed that entire thing. There mm-hmm. is no metaverse project at Disney at all. He cut all the employees and the project itself. Microsoft, same deal. They pretty much cut it. I mean, these were small operating units of these companies. But then you even have like, I think Apple. Apple had an AR division, not necessarily metaverse, but kind of like augmented reality. You could hold up your phone, display things inside of your home. A lot of that stuff is getting absolutely cut right now, except for meta platforms, because they've kind of dug themselves into a grave. They changed their entire name based on this theme that got absolutely demolished in 2022. And now they, I think, did they have an activist investor come in? I don't know if they did. I don't think they actually had an activist investor come in, but they've just had these, you know, they, they've basically focused all of their conversation, even in their earnings calls towards mm-hmm. Facebook and Instagram, stuff mm-hmm. like that. They don't talk about the metaverse at all anymore. The metaverse is like this side project that the, they're offloading the project in, in a form like they're just spending less money on it. I think that what do they spend $2.8 billion on it? I don't, yeah, I don't and actually know the number. I guess that one. was in losses. So they, yeah, whatever. But like, it's one of those things where I don't really know, is the metaverse even going to survive? There's some things that just won't survive a bear market slash recession. They're just things that won't survive it. And will the metaverse be like one of those things that like, maybe it'll resurface 10 years from now, but yeah. is it going to survive this? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's, that's, that's hard because- there is so much of these, uh, when these developments happen and you have something like the metaverse that's being created and, and actively, people are actively developing programs and tools and devices and hardware and software for it. It's like the timing is everything because if all of a sudden, like you said, you head into these recessionary points, like Facebook's not making all of its revenue or, or meta isn't making all of its revenue off of the metaverse. They're Definitely making not. off of ads, yeah. right? It's like yeah. ads is their business. And if they're heading into recession and they have to cut costs, they're not going to try to cut their ad business. It's like, that's where the money is. Yeah. They got to cut something else if they have to cut costs. So I, yeah, I, I don't feel like it's going to be gone. I, I, I mean, I just don't, I can't see that. There is a lot of hype around it. Um, 
and there has been a lot of hype around it, I think it's just delayed. I agree. Noah, what do you think? It's going to be interesting to see which company is the one who's successful taking over the metaverse because Zuckerberg tried it. It didn't really work too well. He's probably going to be scared to try again. Yeah. I don't think he's going to be the one to do it. And I think other major executives might be scared to do the same thing because they watched and learned the lesson from him. So who, right, it, he's it, got it might, be, it might mm-hmm. be another young guy who came out and this is his first, first big project that he's working on. Or maybe somebody else will take a stab on it, but it's just going to yeah. be interesting to watch. No, I, I, I agree, especially with the overhyped thing. I think it's a little bit like Zoomed. Zoom, right? Mm-hmm. Like if it would have come out and it was fully developed in 2019, the metaverse would have been absolutely massive. It would have climbed to the t- highest tower and then it would have absolutely collapsed. But instead yep. they developed it in 2022 where it was already collapsed, yep. right? Yep. Um, yeah, I think they're in a really tough spot though because they changed their entire name to revolve around it. And Zuckerberg should almost take a lesson out of his own playbook. He like waited to be like, well, maybe he didn't wait, but he was like the seventh, eighth, ninth player in social media. Right, like there was MySpace. I'm too young to remember what was before MySpace, even. But like, there was several <laughs> other social media platforms that came out yeah. before that, like that all died, and then Facebook came around, and it's been it's been the one that hit. Right, like maybe there's seven different metaverse platforms that come out right. before there's actually one that has commercial viability. Right, right, totally. And to be honest, I think the question that people are still asking is like. Well, still, t- two years later, three years later, four years later, you know, however long after we've been talking about this. And of course, like you said, Meta, Meta made the big move in 2022, but people have been talking about the Metaverse for several years now. I think this big question is still like, well, what is it? Yeah. Like, what is it? What is it going to do? What do I do with it? Yeah. What do I do with that? How do I use this? Is it entertainment or is it business or is it? Yeah. You know, and that's the question that, again, I think that's still going to get flushed out. It's just not going to be today. Like it's going to have to be during a period of economic growth, like mm-hmm. economies recovering, the money is flowing and, and people can invest time in, in figuring this out again. Right. Yeah. I think it would be cool to go to a like virtual conference in the metaverse. Mm. You give a little person and you just walk into a conference in Miami or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it'd be cool. It wouldn't be something that I would want to do every week, but mm-hmm. anyway, all right, we're going to move on from the metaverse to <laughs> Trump's Trump's indictment indict indictment indict indict indictment indictment um this is kind of like hot hot news yeah. i didn't think that this was probably actually going to happen but it turns out that he's got 30 counts of document fraud that's a lot of counts i don't really know what to make of this and i don't really know it's not really that important but it's just something like it it happened yeah yeah it's all happening it yeah. is all happening right now and then i think this throws into a lot of question about like the presidency Right. Like mm-hmm. there's the, the, whatever the next presidential ele- election like starts the day after the current president gets not like uh, uh, whatever get, gets thrown into office. Mm-hmm. Like it starts like that. And Trump has been like pounding the table on uh, getting back in there. And I just this really uh, diminishes his uh, ability to do so. I, I really I really feel like that's really the case. Um, yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, probably puts fuel on the fire on, on, on his end, you know, fueling the fire to keep pounding and keep moving oh, and forward. This is going to make him pound even harder. Don't Ex- get me wrong. Yeah. 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 So yeah, this is, this is going to be, a. I mean, we've got, what do we have? We have a year and a half before our next general election, November. Yeah. November, 2024. Yeah. So, I mean, we got a long runway still before we actually even get to that point. And there is, there's so much that's got to play out, but yeah, it's yeah. a, this is a, 
Let's all just be honest. This is a really weird, hard, difficult time for politics in the country too. It is. It's and just, it is very, there's so much division on it. And yeah, uh, I mean, it's hard to say much more than that, but we can all just be honest. This is a very difficult time. For sure. And how this like affects investments and financial lives is mm-hmm. like, politics don't matter whatsoever. There might be some volatility in like, um, we could have this president or that president, which might be more skewed towards this policy being passed in the future. Yep. You get volatility somewhat in that where it's like, yeah, politics can play, play a role. But until a policy is actually in the motions and has a high chance of being passed or is passed, there's not really an effect in markets, right? If they're talking mm-hmm. about, if they're talking about like, oh, potential ban of Google, like, all right, there you go. That has a real impact because that's a policy that could be passed on yep. Google's business. But if you have like, oh, if, if Donald Trump gets into office, he's going to ban uh, Google. It's like, all right, no, that's politics. He's maybe is saying like, I want to run on a platform of internet security. Mm-hmm. So, all right, people in the market are not Im- immediately going to say like, okay, well, Donald Trump wins and then Google's gone. Yep. So we're going to sell yep. all of our Google shares. That's not yep. how it works. Until the policy is actually in progress yep. and passing, that's really what matters. Yep, totally. A lot of like conversations that we've had too, because we've walked through, I guess I've been around for two elections cycles with clients. And uh, some of what we talked to our clients about too, is it's like politics is going to, uh, like the election of an individual into an office, uh, be it the president or even the you know, senatorial races, the House of Representatives, those races, but changes there. It's like, yes, they have maybe some short-term implications where you'll see some emotional moves within the market, these swings up or down. But ultimately, policy decisions take, it takes time and quite a long time for policy decisions to even be made. And then it takes time for those policies to be implemented, enforced, and then start to get felt in the economy, which actually starts to change market prices, right? So, and, and of course you can still, you know, markets are forecasting into the future, they're forecasting ahead. But I do think there's so much uncertainty around po- policy uh, just at any time. You know, it's like, well, will this policy get pushed through? How will this ultimately affect the economy? That investors are just guessing and making their predictions off of the information we have three months ahead, what we think will take place six months ahead. And then, oh, what do you know? Every two years, three years, four years, administration is changing over, policies get revoked, and things change again. So, um, yeah, it's not to say polit- politics is irrelevant, but it's almost like politics is one leg of a three-legged stool, you know, politics, you got the economy, you've got company earnings, like you have these different, different pieces that are at motion in motion. So Mm -hmm. it's It's just, it's never one variable. It's just a source of uncertainty that gets investors fired up and yeah, it's sentiment making decisions. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. It's, it it is a big, a big piece of sentiment. Yeah. Yep. Sentiment matters only in one year time horizon. Hmm. Three to five year. It's like earnings or uh, multiple growth contraction, stuff like that, where you're mm-hmm. like, what are we paying for? And then over long terms, it's earnings. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it's earnings. And let's connect this all the way back to the beginning. Ooh, we're going all the way back. Back in the, the beginning. Airplane. Gut, right? Yep. It's like you need to have a gut That's and you sentiment. need patience, right? Yep. Have a gut. Yeah, the sentiment, the patience, 20-year time horizons. Over a 20-year time horizon, historically, on a rolling 20-year period, the markets have never returned a negative amount. That was the statistic yep. you gave yep. us? That's the statistic. There you go. That means investing at even the worst possible times, mm-hmm. you still have a positive return. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. There will be losers, and the first to feel the tension are usually the first to fall. 
I uh, I wrote that down because I I was just thinking about like what happens in bear markets, recession, stuff like that. There are losers, right? There are companies that go down. There are are you know there's things that happen where companies disappear. And I I just kind of threw this article in there, like not you know saying that this is actually going to happen, stuff like that. But where is their weakness, right? There's weakness in the banking sector right now. The regional banks, there's stuff like that. I think there's a ton of outflows. Um, and you guys don't have the right article for this because I put the wrong one in the show notes. I'll make sure to get that updated. <laughs> I'm going to say I clicked this link and there's that quote did not exist. There. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, this quote also doesn't exist in this article because that's my own quote. Um, but Nikola, Nikola, the you know hydrogen fuel cell, semi-truck, electric vehicle manufacturer, um, fell 20% to, on, on a $100 million stock offering. Basically, they diluted themselves. But why do you raise like money in a bear market? Is because you need money in a bear market, and that's not a good time to be raising money. Um, and so that's weakness, right? Silicon Valley Bank tried to do the same thing. We're like, oh man, we have issues. We need to raise three point two billion dollars, otherwise we're going to have really bad issues. And lo and behold, boom, that one went a little bit happier or faster because it's a bank run yeah. and there's actual like liquidity issues. But like this is like. Once you start saying like we need we need money and this is how we have to get it, there's no like debt financing. Debt financing is too expensive. We need to just offer shares and and take take the dilution right now. Mm-hmm. Like that's that is really tension. That's like loser tension. It's like all right, there's things like bad happening. The economy's slowing down, obviously, and the first to fall are the ones that need the most help. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's very interesting. Today we had the Jolts report, job openings by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. It was estimated to be ten point eight million new or, uh, job openings in the economy 9.9 million was the actual number a whole million dollars of job opening or uh, not million dollars <laughs> <laughs> a whole million job openings uh lower than expected yeah. so like the economy is rolling like it is it is feeling the stress it's really feeling the tension mm-hmm. and even still even this morning before i even saw the jolts i turned to dan and i was like look at that walmart laid off 2000 people I think McDonald's closed down some corporate offices, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's real. Right. Like those, those right. places right. that are like leisure, hospitality, um, you know, manufacturing, professional business services, like they're actually starting to either lay off or freeze hiring. Right. Right. And the comment you made to me too was, you know, two thousand employees from Walmart getting laid off might be insignificant, quote unquote. Definitely compared, insignificant. Right. Compared to their total labor force of. Uh, it's something like 2.3 million people. That statistic's probably a couple years old, but that's how many people the Walmart employs. So 2,000 might seem insignificant in the grand scheme of that, but nevertheless, Walmart is feeling the stress and has to cut 2,000 people. Or feels like they need to. Yes. At the yes. very least. Feels like they need to. So, how? okay, question for Noah here. It's like, we obviously, uh, from the advisor position, it's like we walk with clients through these things where... We take a lot of the stuff even that Jacob talks about yeah. and information he passes to us and the conversations we have in the office and we'll talk about the economy and we'll talk about businesses. We have to ultimately like distill it down to people. Like we communicate it with with other humans, like very normal people like me, like Noah, like Jacob. Yeah. Um, so like how do we help or what are you doing, I guess, right now with your clients when you're communicating to them? Um, hey, there's stress in the system and that might be creating stress in your system. How do we get through this? I think we just reiterate that people just keep doing what you're doing. Um, it's a good thing that it might seem like it's a bad thing because there are less jobs available. So if you lose your job, it might be harder to get a job. But if you're not losing your job, this is a good thing because it means the Fed 
everything that they're doing is starting to work finally. It's been a long time coming, but what they're doing is starting to work. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully unemployment starts going in the right direction. And that means inflation starts going in the right direction. And then they can drop rates at that point. But it means that it's finally starting to work and we're working our way towards a resolution. Yeah. So there's some comfort yeah. to be had there, even if it means you might feel a little bit more stressed, but it, this is how it's supposed to work. Yep. Yep. Totally. This is how it feels. Right. Yeah. This is how it feels. Totally. And I remember even back in 2020, some of the conversations that Tom and I were having with our folks was, we were telling people, yeah, it's like, A, keep doing what you're doing. Keep going to work. Keep doing your job. Do as much as you can to, you know, like, you know, save money right now. If you need to boost your, like your emergency fund, go ahead and focus on that. And then also just like take a walk, go for a walk, get, get some of this off your mind, like relieve the stress. But I think during these times of even economic stress, when that starts to seep into our lives, our advice often is very simple feedback to people. It's like, continue to take care of your family, continue to take care of your health, continue to take, uh, continue to Take care of your finances, you know, even basic things like just don't stop what you're doing. If you're saving, save. If you have an emergency fund, keep the emergency fund full. Um, and that that is what is going to carry you through and like tide you through this period of time that is stressful. Um, and you'll come out the other side. Yeah, I mean, and this this is not an advisor take because I don't do a lot of advising, but I feel like the biggest question people generally have in a period like this is like, am I going to be okay? Right. Like at the end 100%. of the day, it's like am I going to be okay if the economy goes in recession? 100%. Am I going to be okay in these circumstances? Mm -hmm. And then that's where you guys come in and you're like, here's what you're doing right, and this is why you'll be okay. Like, whatever. Investments are one thing. Investments can decline 50%, and it it happens, it has happened, stuff like that. But if, like, say, you have an an emergency fund, you still have a job, you're still paying off, you know, you're paying off debt, either or you don't have debt or you don't have high fixed costs, like, stuff like that. There are things to do, even in like stuff like that, where it's like, even though you maybe aren't in the perfect situation, yep. you are still going to be okay. Yes. Yeah. I don't have anything to add to that. All right. Well, then we'll move on to the quote of the week. I thought that this was an absolutely fabulous article by Capital Group. So this guy, Will Robbins, and nobody probably, I don't know, maybe nobody knows of him. I, I certainly didn't know of him, but he's a portfolio manager at Capital Group. So he's not like a big talking head or nothing like that. He just writes blogs on Capital Group's website. I'm sure I've seen probably one of his blogs before and just don't recognize yeah. it. But he, uh, he wrote this post, 10 Lessons from 2008 that Apply Today. And we- lesson number one was when the weathermen pack umbrellas, the forecast is for rain. And get this, that applies to our daily lives right now as the weathermen are probably packing their like snow jackets and stuff. Yeah. I don't really Getting know. Getting their snowblowers working. Whatever, yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> they went and got their 50-50 mixed gas. Um, but really what he was talking about here is like when bank treasurers start hoarding liquidity assets that can easily be converted into cash, that's what hoarding liquidity or like liquidity is assets that can easily be converted into cash in mid 2007, when liquidity was not on anyone's radar, it should have been a clear warning sign, right? So the treasurers are people that are like managing more of like the bank's like balance sheet in some sense. And I think this is talking about their own personal lives. What are the Mm. banking treasurers doing? internally on their own personal finances that tell you what the banks are doing, mm-hmm. right? And maybe not even necessarily just banks, but like, what is a treasurer doing with their own finances? And how, what does that tell you about the general economy, right? Like, mm. because if the treasurer is saying like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm taking up a bunch of, I'm tapping the brakes on risky assets. I want liquidity. I want cash. 
I want all this stuff. Like that's an umbrella to a weatherman. Yeah. Yep. That's like saying like the forecast is for rain. Like yeah. there, there's rain coming and I'm, I'm protecting my safety and liquidity, right? Yep. That's what yep. they're doing. And so that's like taking a lesson from those people. And who are those people? This, I mean, it's just, I guess it is the same people, but like, that's really what you're seeing. You see yeah. a lot of liquidity, money market right. fund flows. Right. That's a lot of liquidity. Yeah. Treasury, yeah. treasury, like fund flows, stuff like that. That's yeah. liquidity. It kind of comes down to just paying attention. Yeah. Like pay attention. Watch, watch what's happening. Watch what's happening with flows. Like you said, with flows, money flows. Watch what's happening with these uh, analysts or these, yeah, these individuals who are managing some of these portfolio funds even and saying, what are they doing and why are they doing that? Right. Yeah. And you'll learn a lot just from, just from watching. And I highly recommend you check out the rest of these 10 suggestions or wisdom pieces because they are incredible. Love it. They are very good. I love it. I'll check it out. You got any? uh... Um, Just to wrap up that last quote, I don't think that has to relate just to finance. For for sure. Yeah, it can just be a life thing. Like whatever you feel like you should be better at, find a role model that's doing something like that really well and then follow with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If they have their, they have an umbrella. You should maybe get your umbrella out too. Umbrella. Yeah. All right. Dig it. Well, we're going to slow this train down. So we're going to slow it down with uh, the best part of last week. Noah, <laughs> I'm tossing it over to you. Well, it wasn't getting sick this weekend. Um, <laughs> man, I don't know. Gosh. All right. Well, I'll go. I absolutely slot. Well, I guess we didn't actually. We, uh, well, this is this is an interesting one, and Trevor, if you're listening to this, which I'm sure you're not, but you'll still hear about it. Um, we took the Coleman mini bikes. My brother's got these little tiny mini bikes, and we took these out on the lakes to go uh, perch fishing. We did catch some some nice jumbos, but which was the, which was a good part. But on the way back, it was like 42 degrees, and the uh, the sun was beating on the the ice and the snow, and it it was hard going out yeah. there, and it was like. You know, the snow was hard so that they went just nice and smooth on the way back. It was like slush, slush yeah, and slippery, wet, like snow. And so these things did not want to go through this. And it was just, I tipped over once I, uh, turned a 10 minute trek into like an hour. It, it was so long. It took forever. Maybe it yeah. even wasn't an hour, but it took forever. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. But it was fun. Well, we still yeah. got some purge. Right. We're going to eat those suckers up. That's good. Best part of my week, uh, it was Fate's birthday on Saturday. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So we had we had friends over, played a game, played a new board game, Wingspan. No one's played that game. I've heard of this game before. Checked it out. It's a beautiful game. It's like a visually stunning game. And you're, uh, the, the objective of the game is you're building a, um, uh, oh, now I can't think of it. You're building uh, a, a wingspan. A, a, no, it's like a, like a, a bird farm, right? So like oh, think about, okay. what do they call it? An ar- arborarium? I, I can't even think of the term now. Someone correct me. Send us an email via, you know, how to reach out to us. Yeah. Anyways, it's a great game. It was a wonderful week. Got to celebrate my wife. All right. I have a question for you, though. Yes. Did you uh, enjoy the card? Oh, the card was wonderful. She received a birthday card from the Fiel Capital team, which included a, a photo <laughs> taped on of me eating a piece of lefsa. Oh, it was great. From a printer that was half out of ink. So the and photo toner. of me. Yeah, and toner. <laughs> it was a great picture. <laughs> oh. But the, the, the second level, the second order thing of this story is that the, or Josh didn't actually put the, uh, what, what is, what is it that you pay for, for the postage? He didn't put postage on there. So, uh, yeah, it didn't make it. It never it, made it, came, it. It came back on Monday and then he sent it home with Dan. Yeah. <laughs> yesterday. She laughed pretty hard. All right, Noah. I'll stick on the birthday theme. Um, uh, mine was 
a week and a half ago and my dad's was last Friday. So our whole family went out for a meal on Friday. Where'd you go? Uh, uh, Mackenzie River. Where's McKenzie, where was Mackenzie River? Uh, it's out by Costco, kind of. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah. What did you get? I got uh, some Cajun pasta. Nice. Yeah, solid. All right. Well, that, was, that sounds good. Um, that has been the Laminate Money Podcast. If you've got any questions, feel free to shoot us an email. Any suggestions on what you want us to talk about, um, that email is Podcast at blcapital.com. It's a mouthful, so it'll also be in the description. And if you haven't subscribed to The Weekend Reads yet, highly recommend that you do. Again, that link will be in the description. So with that, we'll see you next time on the Laminate Money Podcast. <laughs>